Welcome to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show, built by Par Lumber. When it comes to big or small projects around the home, Tony and Corey have got the know-how and the answers to make your life just a bit easier. Here they are, your Weekend Warriors, Tony and Corey. Hey, welcome to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show, built by Par Lumber. I'm Corey Valdez. And I'm Tony Cookston. Thanks for tuning us today. We have a very exciting show lined up today, Tony. I think so. We have never had someone of this caliber on the show before who uh, who does all of these things. He's not from around here. He's from out of state. Yeah. East Coast, actually. Uh, you might you you'll pick up on his uh, on his accent. He's got a little East Coast accent going on. This guy has got a plate full. Uh, his, his life is extremely busy, um, but uh, part of his life is uh, he flips uh, homes. He's, he renovates homes, right? Buys and flips, and um, and that in and of itself is a huge responsibility. There are so many moving parts when you're buying and selling homes and and renovating them. But on top of that, this guy is a celebrity, a superstar. <laughs> he's, he's fast. He's, yeah, he's fast. He's a top fuel drag driver, dragster driver, dragster racer, dragster. He straps himself to a rocket, to a rocket and uh, flies down the drag strip at 300 miles an hour. It's unbelievable. Let's uh, let's introduce our guest here today. His name is Justin Ashley with Justin Ashley Racing. Uh, how are you doing? I'm doing great. That's uh, quite the introduction, so I'm very humbled. Thank you. <laughs> we are absolutely astounded to just think about all of the responsibility, I think, that that is inside of your brain, you know, every minute. It just seems like I think about my life as being full, right? I have a, a full-time job and, uh, and a family, right? I've got my own. I own a home. That's a lot of responsibility. I cannot imagine uh, I cannot imagine doing what you do, but you are a very young man, and you have uh, you have a lot of gumption and and fire in your belly. Obviously, it's very exciting. Tell me, let's just start with this one thing: How first of all did you end up becoming a drag a dragster racer, a top fuel race car driver? So really, from the time I was young, I always wanted to be a race car driver. Uh, I grew up around the racetrack because my father was a race car driver growing up. So just kind of growing up in that atmosphere, it was kind of all that I knew. And uh, I just knew that as time progressed, it's something that I wanted to do more and more. And, uh, you know, it, it's difficult, like coming up the ranks in any kind of sport. But fortunately for me, I've been surrounded by a lot of really great people who've helped me get to the point that I am at now. And uh, I'm having fun, man. I'm busy. I'm staying busy, but I'm enjoying it. Oh, yeah. Well, there's no question you're busy. I would think that being somebody who drives a drag racer, what do we call that? We're not a drag car? Yeah, a, a drag racer. A drag a racer. Dragster. Okay. A dragster. A dragster. Yeah, okay. So yeah. being somebody responsible for all of that money, right? And to all of the people who are expecting you to perform and to all of your fans and all of that stuff. That's a lot, man. That's a full-time job already. And then on top of that, you have this other business where you're buying and selling homes. So how is it, tell me, how is it that you decided that being being a, a race car driver was not enough for you. This is what I have to know. <laughs> so for me, I don't know what it is about me. I don't know if it's in my genes. I don't know if I was just 
you know, this happened growing up, but I have to be busy. If I'm not busy, you know, 24 hours out of the day, I'm freaking out. So I always got to be doing something that keeps me going. So, you know, drag racing is really what I love to do. Uh, that puts the biggest smile on my face more so than anything else. So when I'm at the track, I'm at my happiest, I'm awesome, I'm enjoying myself. But at the same time, you know, I was always taught growing up that if, if you want to be successful, if you want to have a successful racing career, you also need to start a business because, you know, this sport is, is, is expensive. And fortunately for me, I have a lot of really great sponsors help, you know, help me to fund it. But at the same time, I have to focus on the business side of it on my end. So, um, you know, I've been fortunate enough to be able to get into the fix and flip real estate industry in New York. Uh, just like racing, it's this challenge. It has its ups and downs. But, you know, I've really enjoyed that as well. And, um, you know, I've had a good experience over the last three years or so doing it. Yeah, that's uh, that is amazing. And you're a pretty young guy. How old are you, Justin? I'm 25. 25 and already very successful uh, racing career and uh, flicks, fixing and flipping homes. We have I, so many questions for you. I guess let's kind of break it out. Let's talk a, a little bit about the racing, a little bit about your your flipping, and you also have your own show. I just figured out how we ended up having a celebrity on our show with Justin Ashley, and here's how it is. This is a guy who has to be busy 24-7, like – he 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 doesn't even want to sleep. He has to because his body forces him, but he doesn't even want to sleep. And then here comes pandemic. And now suddenly oh, man. he has nothing to do. So he's looking for a place to fill those voids. And he found the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show and decided he would uh, jump on the radio and talk about, uh, you know, flipping houses. So uh, we're pretty excited to be the beneficiaries of your downtime, but uh, the COVID-19 thing's probably been driving you crazy, huh? It is. Well, I'm happy to be on the show anytime, post-pandemic, pre-pandemic, during the <laughs> pandemic. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, when it first happened, it first, you know, I, it caught everyone off guard. I uh, didn't really know what to expect. It was, you know, the unknown. I think that was the worst part of it. They put racing on hold. Uh, for me, you know, I had to put my business on hold here temporarily for about three months. Uh, you know, so it was a lot of downtime, but I think, you know, the important thing about that downtime, at least for me, is it really put things in perspective because sometimes when you're going 100 miles per hour, you don't stop and realize how lucky you are and how grateful you are to have a job, you know, to, to have family, to have your health. So I think really I took that time more so than anything else to just put things back into perspective, which was nice. Yeah. Speaking of perspective, how difficult is it to go 300 miles an hour on the on the drag strip and then get in your car that that does 55 you know i mean do you just do you just want to top i mean do you have a super fast daily driver so i have a dodge challenger uh it has about 500 horsepower so relatively speaking compared to other you know daily drivers it's you know relatively powerful but that's probably the most commonly asked question people ask me all the time if you go 300 miles per hour what do you drive you, you like break the speed limit all the time are you driving 100 <laughs> miles per hour constantly and they're always shocked because I tell them the same thing. I say, I don't know what it is, and other racers are the same way. Maybe it's we want to relax, but I think we drive slow. My girlfriend gets on me all the time because in a 55, I feel like I'm driving 50. She's like, come on, pick it up. It's not supposed to be that way. Yeah. So I think there's some irony to it. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty funny. I, he I constantly can... has uh, Van Halen playing, uh, I can't drive 55. <laughs> I can imagine being in a conversation with you, Justin, and – 
you telling me that you got a speeding ticket. And I would say, well, boy, how fast were you going? Oh, about 330 in a 55. But, <laughs> you know, uh, the cops couldn't keep up with me. That's pretty crazy stuff. I mean, these are things that uh, most Americans or even people in the world would just never have an idea what it's like, first of all, to go 300 miles an hour. Or what does that feel like? And that's got to be a super crazy rush and um, and scary and dangerous and and also fulfilling and then you know to have people following your results and and uh, tracking your career all of that stuff is uh pretty awesome and i can't imagine what that's like we actually have to take a really quick break but when we come back we're going to dig in and learn everything there is to know about justin ashley the race car driver and the house flipper hang in there justin we'll be right back you're listening to tony and Corey, your weekend warriors don't go away Welcome back to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show, built by Par Lumber. Thanks for staying with us. Today, Tony and I are talking with a race car driver slash fixer flipper upper, <laughs> a flipper fixer upper, and uh, named Justin Ashley. Justin, thank you so much for uh, hanging out with us today. We have so many questions for you. We uh, thank you for thank you for having me. Yes, uh, I have never been to a drag race have you tony well yeah we we got the woodburn drag strips that are just right here by where we're at and so yeah it's loud man i mean it's amazing to be there and smell the burning rubber and and hear the engines go and it's amazing to hear an engine blow and to see the guys go so fast i mean there's a lot of amazing things about it yes i've been i need to go and it is a huge rush to see it and just think about how awesome it would be to be behind the wheel and then of course um then you're too scared to do it or or you know you'll never get the opportunity and so uh it's pretty cool do you see yourself justin do you see yourself being a, a race car driver for years and years and years? Like, are you going to be that guy? Are you going to be like John Force, you know, in it for his entire life and then retire and be, you know, uh, can you imagine it being like that? I can. You know, I think that for me, that's a goal uh, for myself and for the whole team that we have. We, we want to create sustainable success. So for us, that means, you know, for the next 25, 30 years to, to bring a car out there that can win every time we're on the racetrack. So, you know, that that's certainly been a goal of ours for a long time. And uh, to be able to do that, like the John forces of the world would really be a blessing. Yeah. It's cool stuff. I mean, it's such a, such a almost unbelievable thing to be a part of, I feel like. And yet it's just for you. It is a, uh, the team dynamic, right? Everybody plays a part. And then everybody always says, Oh, Justin Ashley won. And you're like, well, our team won, you know, the guys that built the car and the guys, the the crew chief and all of that stuff. But uh, pretty amazing stuff. I, I feel like um, I feel like it's, it's something I would I would enjoy being a part of something like that. But it, I could never couple that responsibility with another full time career. Look, Corey and I have a full time job. 
We yeah. work for a par lumber company in, in the Pacific Northwest, and we supply building materials to builders and homeowners and all that. And then we have this radio gig, but and that's really almost more than than we could we could never take on more than that. I don't feel like. Yeah, no. I mean, especially with the families and and that sort that sort of thing, we we don't have time. So to to be to have that drive, like Justin here, who says I can't not be yeah. busy twenty four hours. <laughs> yeah. I can't even imagine because all I look forward to is my couch. Yeah, right. you know, after after a long day of work. Yeah. So do you feel like that uh do you feel like you spend more time in your racing career or do you feel like you spend more time flipping houses? That's a great question. I think there's no doubt that I spend more time flipping houses. Uh I mean for me I race, you know, 12 races out of the year and you know each race is on the weekend and for me more so than anything else it's about compartmentalizing so when i'm at the racetrack i try and do everything i can to focus on driving the car focus on the team but when i'm home i do everything i can to focus on flipping houses now it's easier said than done i'm not always the best at it and uh, there's certainly a learning curve and a learning process but i think i spend most of the time concentrating probably on flipping houses but I think there's definitely a kind of a, a light switch that you kind of turn on and off when it's uh, when it's go time when you're in business and then when it's go time when you're racing. How did you get into flipping houses? Was it did you did you start that business or did you help somebody out? Or did you kind of learn the ropes along the way? I mean, how does somebody like you, a young guy, 25 years old, start flipping houses? Yes, yeah, so. I, my family has a relatively long history in real estate and I graduated from college in 2016. I remember talking to my father a few months before graduation and I said, listen, I have no idea what I want to do. Help me. I got to figure something out. I have to do something to make a living. And uh, he's like, listen, Justin, I think, you know, get into flipping houses, you know, I'll help you get started. You know, I'll, you know, we'll start your own business together and then you'll grow and you'll take it over from there. And that's, kind of what we did. I said, let me give this a shot. Let me see if I like it. I think it's certainly a good investment of my time. And it turns out that it's something that I'm very passionate about and it's grown since then. And I have a lot of people tell me, you know, Oh, you fix and flip houses. You're so lucky. How awesome is that? I said, you're right. It is awesome. And I'm, and I'm glad I'm able to do it. But if you only knew the smells that I smell, the headaches <laughs> that I have, the crisis that I witness on a daily basis, yeah, it's uh, – <laughs> I can't even imagine. No, Corey yeah. and I, have, if we've walked through our share of uh, dilapidated houses. And, uh, yeah, I cannot imagine um, – I can't imagine being responsible for making that what could potentially be a dump into something that's resellable and expect to make a profit at it. Well, and have the vision to be able to walk into a property and say to yourself, okay, uh, I'm going to pay this. There, whatever that dollar amount is for this property. And how do you turn that into profit? You know, there's a lot of things, you know, like Tony and I talk on this show a lot about fixing up houses. That's what our show is about. We talk about home improvement and, you know, being a weekend warrior and learning about cost versus value. What's what what's the cost of what you're putting into the home that you're fixing up? Are you going to get that money back out of it? And Tony and I being weekend warriors, it's a little different. We put the money in because we want to enjoy it. This is our house. But somebody like you, it's a little different. How do you determine uh, what houses you're going to buy? Or, or is there some sort of formula that you use? Or you kind of look at comps in the area? Like, how does that work? 
You're so right. There's so many different factors that go into it. Um, you know, I go through the comps first more so than anything else. Uh, you know, I kind of look at, I try and stay within, uh, you know, a few months and within a very small radius to see what kind of houses have sold there. Uh, I take a look at something that's very important, which is how long it took for them to actually go into contract. And uh, I think that when you bring up value versus cost, I think that probably that's the most important thing because if you take a home, let's say it's a Cape and we have an area in here called Levittown. I know that no matter what I do to that Cape, if I deck it out, if I put the best tile, the best kitchen, I'm not going to get more than 450,000 period. So it's a matter of knowing that specific area, knowing that type of house and knowing kind of that value to cost ratio. And when you kind of add it all together and realize all the expenses that add up, whether it's interest, taxes, insurance, you kind of got to all put it together and sit down and just know that at the end of the day, it's a numbers game because I see it time in and time out. Investors will go, they want the house so bad that they don't buy it based on the numbers. They buy it based on emotion. And that's where you get yourself into trouble because you don't end up making the profit. You end up losing money. So like you said, there's so many different crazy factors that go into it from the numbers game to actually what you're going to see when you're in there. It's got to be difficult if you're buying the property, flipping and selling the property. It's got to be difficult to separate your, like you said, emotion, right? To separate your personal needs and wants um, from that property because you won't in every property be able to do all those things you want to do. Like for my house, it's easy for me to choose what my cabinets are going to look like, what my new floor is going to look like, because I'm going to have a little piece of me in all of those projects. But in your case, I feel like you have to do the most cost effective and yet um, what the, the choose the item that's going to bring you your best resale value. And that's got to be hard to do sometimes. It is. No, absolutely. It's, it's a difficult thing to do because there's so many things that you'll want to do. Uh, you know, if I want to add, you know, I may look and say, you know what, I want to add central AC. It's going to make it look so great. It's going to, it's going to feel awesome. But at the end of the day, if it's not going to get me the same amount of money or more money than what I put in, it's just not worth it. So, um, you know, that's certainly one of the difficult factors. You always have to kind of go back and think, all right, to make the rational decision, not the emotional one. Yeah, that's got to be, that's, I, I can imagine that being a very difficult thing. I know even for my own personal job, uh, there everybody has a budget. I have a budget for my personal projects. You have a budget. And you have to make those decisions. We're going to take a quick break here in a moment, but when we come back, I'm going to ask you, uh, I'm going to ask you a, a pretty difficult question. So strap in, get ready for this. Don't go away, folks. You're listening to Tony and Corey, your weekend warriors. We're coming right back. show built by par lumber now here's tony and Corey. hey welcome back to the weekend warriors home improvement show thanks for staying with us hey if you haven't already go check out our facebook and instagram page we're at ww home show uh, or you can go check out our website it's wwhomeshow.com and uh, or if you want to email us you can uh, find our email addresses on there if you miss this show or any portion of the show and you want to catch up on it, you can go find us. We're on uh, Apple Podcast. We're on Google Play. Google Play. iHeartRadio. 
and Spotify. Spotify. There you go. So uh, you can go check out our podcasts on there. Those things do really well. So yeah, go listen to them. Uh, so we've got a special guest in the studio today on uh, uh, over Skype with us. Skype. He's uh, in New York. New York. I don't know where in New York, but somewhere in New York. We've got Justin Ashley. He's a young guy who buys and flips homes. And uh, on the side, he drives 300 miles an hour in a dragster. Yeah. But uh, this this guy is crazy. I want to <laughs> hear. He's not crazy. He's not crazy. He's, I want to uh, hear a little bit real quick about ambitious. your your show. You you have a show on YouTube that uh, you do, and it it looks like you've got quite a few episodes on there. Maybe probably a little pause due to COVID. But how you doing with that? What's what's going on there? Yeah, so that's a really fun show. I think it probably shows you how crazy I actually am <laughs> because I may be a little bit crazy to do what I'm doing. Uh, but the show is called Fix, Flip, Fuel. And what it does is it kind of provides people with behind-the-scenes access to my life at the racetrack, so driving a 300-mile-per-hour top fuel dragster, and then switching gears and fixing and flipping homes in New York. So it's really cool because it shows you both sides of it, and it's kind of like a all-access view. So it'll show me you know, walking into certain investment projects where I don't know what to expect, and all of a sudden there's you know, a, a dead raccoon hanging from the ceiling. <laughs> and then, you know, the next day I'm on a plane on my way to Charlotte to drive uh, to drive a dragster. So, uh, you know, it's unique because it provides kind of angles that, uh, you know, otherwise wouldn't be seen. And I think that we have really good subjects to touch on, kind of combining those two things. So uh, it's on YouTube. And if anyone wants to check it out, it's called Fix Flip Fuel. Well, there's a lot of uh, flip shows. Tons of flip shows. You turn on to HGTV or any of those shows, they're all about flipping houses, and that's it. You've got some, you know, pretty blonde and some, you know, dude that, you know, that's all That's all they do is buy houses and flip them, and that's the show. Stereotypical. That's, I mean, it's true. Yeah. But uh, then you got your show where you've got drag racing. It's yeah. pretty cool. It is really cool. The the Like you said, the angle. The angle is uh, very cool. It brings a lot to... It brings a lot to it because you could be totally watching two totally different things all in one show combined. It's great. This is what I want to hear. Corey and I tell our listeners all the time that we learn from our mistakes, probably more, probably more than than the opposite. Right. We make a lot of mistakes, but um, but that's how you learn. We all learn that. Our, our, tell me about a nightmare flip that you've had. And, uh, and maybe if you learned something from it, what, what that was. Yeah, I think every day in this industry and probably in every industry I'm learning, uh, I think we all need to continue to learn to grow and get better, get better at what we do. But for me, the, you know, when someone talks about a project that I learned from the most that really did not go according to plan, I think of the first project I ever did, I decided, and I don't know what I was thinking, but my logic was if I'm ever going to learn, I need to just throw myself to the wolves and just see what happens. So that's kind of what I decided to do. I bought a project that was uh, a relatively big investment. And I thought to myself, you know what, there's enough room in there where I'm new to this, I'll mess up, but I'll be okay. I'll be fine. No matter what, I'll make money. Worst case scenario, I'll leave there having the experience, I'll break even, but that's not even going to happen. I'm going to be fine. So as I'm sure you can see where this is going, uh, on a scale of how that project went, like one to 10, 10 being the best, it was probably like a negative 10. <laughs> I think everything that could have gone wrong in that house went wrong. And I didn't, I was so inexperienced at the time that I didn't know what I didn't know. 
So when someone would tell me something, you know, I wouldn't take it with a grain of salt or get a second opinion or whatever it might be. I just assumed, okay, he knows more than I do. It's right. And before you knew it, I was more, probably more than double the budget. Um, it's a miracle that that house even got done and sold and it came out beautiful, but the amount of money that I put into it, the amount of time that it took and for a first house, it was not pretty. I learned, I learned so much from it, but the end result was not nearly what I had thought it would be. It brings a whole new meaning to the term valuable lesson, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really, really valuable. It's so valuable. I'm pretty sure it cost me $50,000 yeah, or something like that. Yeah. You know, that's that's the case, it seems, Justin, with every project that I've ever taken on in my own home. I mean, I you can ask Tony, like, for some reason, whatever project is that I do, it's like, oh, this should be easy, straightforward. My wife actually says now, when I say that, I say, <laughs> oh, this should be pretty quick, straightforward. <laughs> she's, and she says every single time, she's like, yeah, right. Yeah. Right. When has everything we've done in this house been straightforward? And I mean, just the most random things, right? You're like, oh, I'm just going to, you know, cut a wall here, cut a hole here and install a mirror or something. You know what I mean? Just whatever it is, you know, and there just happens to be, you know, something dead behind the wall. You know what I mean? Just whatever it is, there's always something terrible for in the house that I own. And maybe I just need to dump it. Well, Justin's going to know this better than even you and I do, I'm sure. Uh sheetrock hides a multitude of sins and you just have no idea until you have to take that sheetrock off and then you're like oh man how could i ever have possibly anticipated this um but uh yeah i mean it's a risk it's a huge risk every time you buy a property it doesn't matter how many times you walk around through it climb around underneath it go up in the attic go up on the roof and look at every single thing there is to see uh, it, 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 inevitably there's something expensive that you didn't see. So every time it's a risk, but look at you coming back for more every time. I mean, you've decided that you're, uh, you're going to do it and you're sticking with it and that's exciting. So, so how about a, how about a big victory? You got a big victory. One, one flip that you can think of that you wish every single one of them went that way. Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, you know, there's been a few that have ended up really good. Like you said, you never know what to expect, especially when you take the sheetrock off. It's just at that point, kind of expect the un unexpected, but I've had a few projects that fortunately for me, I thought were going to be, uh, a little more difficult than they actually were, uh, where the house was in relatively good shape. And, uh, you know, I was able to, to fix it up and make a good sum of money from that. But, uh, everything's a learning experience, the good ones, the bad ones, the ones that are in between, more so than anything, it's you know I just try and learn from each one and move forward to the next. How is the how is the housing market now where you're at? You know, it, if you're thinking about um, like here, for example, we're dealing with with a very low inventory, and because of the low inventory, they're building and building and building, and, this, and the home sales are doing really good. It's strong. Um, how how is that going on in in New York right now? What do you see in as a trend? So it's interesting when this whole thing happened, I really didn't know what to inspect, you know, to expect. So I was kind of holding back myself from from buying anything, trying to kind of unload the stuff that I had because I didn't know what trends were going to pop up. But I have to say it's been relatively strong here in New York considering what's going on. Now, it depends on 
what part of New York, it's not nearly as good as it was when this whole thing started, when this pandemic happened, but it's good enough right now where um, there's still more than enough demand. People are you know, still looking to buy homes. Uh, people are still selling their homes. And I think that you know, what I've noticed is this pandemic hit the hardest in the heart of New York City. So a lot of people who are in the city are moving out more toward where I am in Long Island because they don't want to be on top of each other anymore. So the Long Island market has stayed strong through that, but you see more people selling in the city. So I think it's been good, but it kind of depends on what part of New York you're talking about. Yeah, I, I tell you, I think there was a lot of people holding their breath real early on. And then when the whole thing rolled out and we started to get into it, you know, weeks or whatever, a month into it, um, what I didn't see as a building material supplier, I didn't see people hoarding their money or running away from spending. I mean, people are spending. The, the buying confidence is big. We have to take another quick break. When we come back, more with Justin Ashley and uh, Fix, Flip, and Fuel. You're listening to Tony Core, your Weekend Warriors. Don't go away. to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show, built by Par Lumber. Now, here's Tony and Corey. Hey, welcome back to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show. Thanks for hanging around. Today, we're talking with Justin Ashley, who's a top fuel dragster or driver, race car driver, and... Uh, <laughs> Dragster driver. Dragster driver. Yeah, you're going to need to strap in for this next segment because it's going to go really fast. <laughs> uh, but he also uh, flips houses. And uh, we've been kind of talking a little bit about his house flipping business. He's based out of New York. And uh, it's a little different over there, but not much. I'm, like I'm going to share really quickly before we get back into flipping. I'm going to share a, a crazy fact about top fuel dragsters. Listen to this. One dragster's 500-inch Hemi makes more horsepower than the first eight rows at Daytona. Just think about that. You say to a guy, how many horses you got? He's like, eight eight stock cars. I got eight stock cars worth of horsepower. That's incredible. In my my car. What are we we talking about there? How How much horsepower is that? It's actually between ten and eleven thousand horsepower. <laughs> Holy cow! <laughs> I can't even imagine eleven thousand horses. How how much acreage do you need to fit eleven thousand horses? <laughs> if you just strapped your you know just strapped your heels to eleven thousand horses, half of the state of New Jersey in horses <laughs> is what you would need. <laughs> that's a lot of horses, man. That's insane. Yeah, that's crazy. What? <laughs> What, uh, that must, does that scare you whenever you, what, what was the first ride down a racetrack like for you? So, I mean, for me, it really started when I was 11. So when I was 11, they have a series called junior drags to racing. So at the time, I think I was going like, I don't know, 40 miles per hour, but it seemed super fast. Cause I was 11 years old and had like <laughs> yeah. a golden or yeah. something, something funny. Um, and then I went from there to going, you know, 200 miles an hour to 280 miles per hour to 330 miles per hour. So it's a progression. So you kind of get used to it over the course of time. And I think, you know, it's not fear as much as it is like any other sport. You get kind of those butterflies in your stomach. 
it's more so that than anything else. And I think that over the course of time, you kind of develop, you know, more confidence. So you feel better about it. I, I feel like that a large portion of those butterflies, though, probably have a lot to do with you being concerned about the outcome. Not like I'm going to crash or blow up or something, but mm-hmm. probably more like I really need to get that time. I really need to be faster than the other guy, or I really need to get to that next stage in this, you know, in this whatever race. I really don't want to break this really expensive car. <laughs> yeah, I really don't want to break <laughs> the expensive car. I, I am so curious. What does the average, like, what is the cost or, or I guess estimation? You probably don't know the exact, but what's an estimation of the cost on a car like that? So... Just probably the, the best way to put it is when you want to run uh, each race, the depending on the team, but a normal top team, it costs you about $100,000 a race. Holy and there's cow. 24 races for the year. You know, we run 12 of them, but there's 24 total. So a quarter of a million dollars a year just to race. No. Is that right? 100,000 per race times 12. Per race. So more- Two point four million. Exactly. Most of them, by the time it's all said and done, travel expenses, their budget's around three million, if not more. Wowie, zowie. Those are big dollars, man. Yeah, this says here, uh, if nothing blows up, each run, (laughs) each run down the racetrack costs a thousand dollars per second. Whoa. Well, it's going really fast, so there's not that many seconds, right? (laughs) Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, okay, so here's another one. I mean, I haven't seen um I haven't seen a lot of your races, right? But um you ha- you're at the start gate, right? The lights are doing the thing. Boom, 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 right? And then you go and the tires are burning and you're feeling the G's, right? And you're killing it. At what point, I mean, do you start to feel the car maybe it's kind of going the direction that you're not wanting it to go or is there a is there a time when you feel like the car could be getting out of control a little bit and then you don't know what to do? Do you let out of the gas? What's got to happen before you concede, I'm not just going full board to the end? Yeah, I think that there's so many different variables. It's similar to fixing and flipping homes. There's so many different variables that could happen. People ask me all the time, they say, oh, you drag race, right? So you just go straight? So, well, it's not exactly like that. <laughs> no. There's a little bit more, a little bit more involved than that, uh, but... Yeah, it's unpredictable. So sometimes you'll feel it smoke the tires. Sometimes it'll shake the tires. Sometimes it'll move to the right or to the left. Ideally, you know, it's my job to do the best I can to, you know, keep it straight. Sometimes I have to get on and off the throttle. And at the end of the day, something that I learned from a very young age is just live to race another day. Sometimes it's just not your time. You know, you don't want to try and force anything. And sometimes it's tough at the heat of the moment, but you really want to do everything you can to get the car across the finish line as fast as possible until the point where you say, you know what, it's just not going to work out. Let's live to race another day and and move on. And that's it. Yeah. Well, that costs a lot less money, I think, probably because you you oh, kill you kill less cars yeah. that way. So that's probably, you know, some people think winning is number one, but I think you're right. I think coming home safe and not blowing up the car probably is uh, makes owners happier. And uh, and probably investors happier. Yeah. <laughs> What's the scariest thing that's ever happened to you in a race car? Uh, fortunately for me, I haven't really had any scary moments. Uh, none that really 
stick out in particular. I will say that, you know, the first time I drove a top fuel car, uh, I think by the time it was all said and done, I, I don't even know what happened. It went so quick. Yeah. So probably just being behind the wheel of a top fuel car going 300 plus miles per hour and 3.7 seconds. That was the first time I think I really, it really caught my attention more so than anything else. So do you watch it back? Do you, uh, you tune in and, and watch, um, watch your car go down the track after you've done it? I mean, like, obviously you were there, so you saw that, but then do you go back and watch it and see, I don't know what everybody else sees when they're watching it? Yeah. So for me, I do. I like to, I like to watch it for a few different reasons. Sometimes I watch it just because I like to learn really. That's the most important reason. I'll look at what I do and how we did, but I like to look at other drivers and see what they did because you could always learn and see what they're doing and why they're successful. So more important than anything else, that's why I watch. But occasionally I'll come home from a race and I'll turn on the TV and the races on TV. I'll say, hey, wait a minute, that's me. And then my girlfriend will look at me and she'll say, are you kidding me? You're just at the races <laughs> here and watch yourself now. I said, come on, let me, let me just watch it for a minute. Give me a break. But uh, yeah, that, that's pretty much the long of the story. Yeah, it's funny. You know, Corey and I, uh, Corey and I oftentimes record uh, promos and uh, we've done some commercials for Par Lumber Company that have aired on, you know, local television like uh, 2, 6 and 8 or whatever. And uh, we're, we we are always like, I'm, I'm going to record it. It's going to come on during this show. I just know that it is. I'm going to record it. I'm going to watch it like 42 times. I'm going to say, oh, what did I, I shouldn't do. Don't scratch your ear in the middle of the, you know. Uh, pretty funny stuff. And my wife just rolls her eyes. She's like, really? You're going to watch yourself on TV now? You kind of have to, (laughs) but I tell everybody, I do it to learn. I do it to learn. (laughs) That's why I do it. Yeah, it's silly. But, um, so how about this? Do you, how many home flipping projects do you have going right now? So I have about three going right now. Uh, each one is kind of different. I have three probably under construction and then maybe another two or three, uh, you know, working on setting up a closing date and other ones in contract. So all of them kind of are, you know, in different stages in the process, but kind of just thinking about these homes, something that's been a tremendous asset for me, right? You guys sell building materials. So, you know, all the time I'm looking for things, better material, better quality materials, better pricing, something that'll help my projects. And fortunately for me, something that's been a really big asset for me is something called Womb Shocker. So that's a product that's actually hopped on board to help me racing wise. They're a new marketing partner of ours, but what they do is they're a complete odor eliminator. So I'll go into these homes and they smell so bad that it's almost difficult to describe whether it's from animal feces or, you know, it was a hoarder house or, you know, all these different crazy things that it could be. It's amazing. I'll put the room shocker in there. And I'll come in the next day and it'll be gone. It'll smell like neutral, like nothing was even there. And the smell won't come back. So wow. Room Shocker is the product that I use kind of to help me with that. Tony needs that in his bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> That's cold. That's cold. Is that, a, uh, is that a machine that you buy and, and use over and over? Or do you rent the service? Or how's that work? The coolest thing is it's literally in your hand. Oh, okay. You just, it's like a, something that's hand-sized. I believe each covers about 400 square feet or so. So all you do is set it down. There's a small little packet in there. You'll pour some water on top of it and leave it alone and get out of there. And uh, it does wonders. Uh, You know, the sciences behind it are pretty unbelievable to get rid of smells like that. Crazy. That is an awesome product. I cannot believe I hadn't uh, heard about that before. We actually have to take another quick break. 
When we come back, more with Justin Ashley and your weekend warriors don't go away. Welcome back to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show, built by Par Lumber. I'm Corey Valtez. I'm Tony Cookston. Thanks for staying with us today. We've got a, a very interesting show brewing today. Uh, we're going fast with the top fuel dragster talk. Yeah. And uh, but we've got Justin Ashley on the phone, and uh, he's he's in New York City right now. Well, I don't know if New York City. Whereabouts it or where around New York? No, Long Island. Oh, Long Island. I'm in Long. Yep. Oh, nice. Very close to yeah. New York City. So there you go. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he's, he's based out of New York. He drives race cars, top fuel dragsters, and uh, he also fixes up houses and flips them uh, on the side, or or he probably races on the side. But So it's Justin Ashley Development LLC. Is that right? Did I get that right? Developers. I'm sorry. Say that one more time. I missed that. Is it Justin Ashley Developers the name of your... It's, Ad, right, it's Ashley Developers. Ashley Developers. There Ashley Developers. I was close. Yeah, not bad. So, uh, yeah, we're talking with Justin Ashley, and uh, he's got a show on YouTube called... What is it called? Fix? <laughs> I'm, Fix not, I'm not bailing fuel. you out, dude. I remembered it last time, so... Flix, fix Flippin' Fuel? Yeah, Fix Flippin' Fuel. I think that's right. Kind of showcases uh, the that's flips the that he yeah, does. A little bit of a tongue twister. But that's yeah, there you go. <laughs> It's uh, but uh, yeah, we, it's a really cool show. You could, you should go check it out. Uh, there's some pretty, uh, it's really cool footage. You know, he's fixing up houses and he's running these top fuel dragsters. So what is, give us your, give us your website where people can find your show. Sure. So you can go to justinashley.com. Um, my show is on that website. Also, if you go to competition plus TV on YouTube and you type in fix flip fuel, You'll see all five episodes of the show on there. Awesome. Okay, so we were talking earlier about um, you know the decisions that are being made and 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 trying to get the best value for the money that's coming out of your pocket, so that you can sell the house and make some uh, money. Obviously, that's that's why we're in the business, right? To uh, buy it for less and sell it for more and put a little scratch in your pocket so you can do it again, right? That's the whole point. Uh, but there's a lot of things that go into that from the beginning all the way to the very end. Like, it, you know, if you're trying, if you, you've bought and flipped and you're trying to sell and then you get stuck with it for some weird reason, right? Like it's in a weird neighborhood or um, or uh, the interest rates suddenly went up and people are, you know, buyer confidence is down or, you know, the presidential election is is throwing things in for a loop. You know, all those are a lot of those things. But in the middle there is all of the stuff that you're buying and the people that you're buying it from. Par, Par Lumber Company is the is the building material supplier that Corey and I work for and and we know that the a strong relationship with our contractors or our homeowners, our customers is um is the is the easiest way to move forward. We trust them not to do weird things like return everything they bought because it you know, because it was uh, $20 more than they thought it was going to be or something like that. 
Do you find that uh, that you have built relationships with people that you buy from and that that relationship affects your your success going forward? I do. I think that in this industry, relationships are critical. And for me, over the course of time, I've been fortunate enough to develop relationships with several different vendors and, and you know, my specific lumber company that I work with here in New York. So you hit it on the head when you said that, you know, the the lumber company itself, but also the company and their, their salespeople have to be on the same page with the homeowner or with the builder, whoever it is. And they have to trust each other because at the end of the day, you know, the homeowner or the customer in it for a specific reason to meet a specific goal or objective and if you have the right person in place to be able to help that that customer they'll keep coming back every time so for me i've been fortunate enough to develop that relationship over the course of time and i continually go back to the same person the same place every time for the same house for that reason because i do the right thing by them they do the right thing by me and we both make money and it's a win-win you ever you ever hear these words come out of your mouth Hey, dude, it's Justin. Where's my load? <laughs> where's Where's my material? It was supposed to be here two hours ago. I feel like that's a conversation we have. I hear that uh, coming from my customers every day. Yeah, every day. I get that phone call 20 times a day. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, you make a good point. Tony, actually, we were talking about this during the break. And, you know, having that relationship and being able to talk to the person on the other end of the line that you trust and or the company that you trust you had made a good story. You said during the break, you said, if you're going in, you, you want to be able to trust somebody to say, Hey, I'm fixing up a $350,000 house. I don't need, you know, I don't need to spend a ton of money here. I just need what will do the job versus, you know, Hey, I'm actually building a $2 million house. I need the best, right? You know, there's there and there's everywhere in between, you know, I've said this on the show many times before, where you walk into, let's say, a flooring store or a, a tile store, and you talk to somebody that you don't necessarily trust, and you don't know what their motives are, if they're just trying to offload some junk they have in the back <laughs> for a high price. Yeah. I mean, because I don't know a lot about tile. So you go into these stores, and I kind of have an idea. You know, I have a, I'm doing a bathroom recently, and I go in, and I, I have like 40 square feet that I need. And they're like, oh, yeah, this is this one right here that, that you picked out. It's really nice. It's only, you know, $3,000. <laughs> only to find out that the one on the other side of the wall there is $500. Looks exactly like Looks it. Looks exactly the same. You know, the other one's imported from, you know. France. Italy, you know. Or, and the other one, like you said, made, made in Michigan or something. <laughs> but it's the truth. You know, there, you have to be able to trust the person on the other line to do right by you. Right. So they have to understand what your, what your goals are. And for, for you, Justin, it's making money. It's flipping it for the most value that you can get without any particular property. Yeah. But without putting an inferior product in there. Right. I mean, that's something else we feel obligated. Um, I know when I'm doing a project of my own and I'm sure Justin's for Justin's the same way you feel obligated to not do something that's going to fail in a short period of time. I mean, your name's still on the line after all. Yeah, absolutely. It's that's, that's critical is that you have to find the right balance. It's all about balance. That's why you have to trust someone. You have to trust someone who's going to tell you, Oh, you know what? It's only a $350,000 house. You only need tile for, you know, $2 a square foot or $1.50 a square foot, not 
$20 a square foot because it's imported from Spain right. or wherever. So that's that's such a critical part of it. What's a, How deep do you get into the weeds with market trends? I know we only got about uh, less than a minute here, but maybe we can talk about this after the break. But, you know, out here, there's certain things, right, that sell houses. And they out here, they always sell. They say outdoor living sells houses here. Um, what else? Yeah, outdoor kitchens. living is the kitchens. Front door. At the top of the cost versus value report, are you familiar with that? Cost versus value report? I'm actually not. You should check it out. You should check that out. At the top of the cost versus value report is an entry door. If you've got an older or uh, or a, a dilapidated or ugly uh, entry door, replacing the entry door gets you like 125% loan to value uh, as opposed to some other projects like putting in a pool, which maybe will give you 40% loan to value. We're going to talk some more about that. Justin, as soon as we get back, don't go away. You're listening to Tony and Corey. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show, built by Par Lumber. Now, here's Tony and Corey. Hey, welcome back to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show. Thanks for staying with us. We're talking with Justin Ashley. Uh, he's a top fuel drag driver, dragster driver. Why do I keep saying that? I Every time I what know. Do you, what do you, well, how, would, how would you say that? You're a top fuel driver. A top, a top fuel dragster driver. There you go. Okay, See, I you said it right. You did say it right. Ta- Tony's giving me the look. Well, because it just feels like you're stumbling over it, it every does. time. It, it sounds does. normal when Justin says it. I don't know. And when I say it, it's like, that sounds dumb. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. Anyways, he's a race car driver. He just doesn't drive normal race cars. Yeah. He drives 300 mile an hour race and he doesn't turn. He just goes. He keeps it's a, his entire job is to don't let it blow up and keep it between the lines and be the first one across the finish line, I think. Well, and stay you alive. Don't, you don't, and he, stay alive. With top fuel dragsters, do you actually race somebody next to you? Or is it just time? So you do. So basically the way a normal things have changed a little since the whole pandemic hit. They've kind of adjusted the schedule. But under normal circumstances, a race is over the course of three days. So it'll be on a Friday, a Saturday, and Sunday. And then on Friday, on Saturday, you race always against someone in the other lane, but it's all about your time. They take the top 16 fastest times from Friday and Saturday, and they race each other on Sunday. So they set up a bracket, like the NCAA sets up a bracket for their tournament. So one will race 16, two will race 15, and you go on. So there'll be four rounds of the top 16 cars that race each other on Sunday. But uh, every time it's head-to-head. And on Sunday, it's not as much about time as it, you know, as it's about first person to cross the finish line, okay. wins and moves on. It all comes down to Sunday. If you make it to Sunday, it all comes down to Sunday. Exactly. <laughs> Sunday's Sunday's the butterflies day. That's where you really get the butterflies. Yeah, there you go. Sunday and Saturday's the driving home day. Okay, so here's another fact. Here's another crazy fact about top fuel dragsters. A top fuel engine must be rebuilt or replaced. After every run. What? <laughs> it 
it's one and done. That is crazy in my mind. I can't even imagine that. Wow. Is that how, how what how does that even work? So it's funny because we touched on earlier about how expensive the sport is. Now you know why. <laughs> wow. Uh, you know, it's crazy how many parts and pieces you go through, and that's just the beginning of it. But we have, you know, aside from myself, we have 10 guys on the team, and each of them specializes in a specific role, and each of them does a better job than the next. They're absolutely awesome at what they do. And, you know, I, it's weird for me because, you know, I'm somehow end up with the credit at the end of the day, but I have the easiest job. My job is just to drive. It's the 10 other guys that have to take the car apart, put it back together, take the engine apart, put it back together between runs. Sometimes you have 45 minutes to do it or an hour to do it. And they just do such an incredible job. And it's all about the team, uh, just like any other sport. So it's a pretty amazing thing to watch how quickly and how well these guys are able to do it. What's crazy about this? So what sort of things, I mean, are you familiar enough with these engines to say what, like, what has to be torn apart and fixed or replaced is it something that breaks every time is it does it does it just need to be inspected i guess that just blows my mind so yeah so after each run basically we come back and based on how it went the car's got to be inspected so certain parts and pieces in the car will be good you know and and certain parts and pieces have longer you know car life than others so they're going to inspect it and decide kind of what needs to be taken out, what needs to be put back in, what needs to be changed. And based on the decision that's made from the crew chief, the guys will go ahead and do that. So there's a bunch of different variables. So it's not like everything's the same. Each time you bring it back to the pit, uh, it's different based on each run. It's always interesting and it's fun to watch these guys. So here's a, this is kind of a, this is kind of a touch and go question, maybe a little bit, but I'm just going to give it to you straight. You come, you're a second generation driver. And so you are, I mean, everybody, everybody who does what their dad did, right? At, at some level is in dad's shadow, right? Okay. So without asking you, if you feel like you're in your dad's shadow, do you feel, do you, first of all, this, do you and your dad have a level of competition where you compare what he accomplished to what you're accomplishing? And then honestly, and you got to be honest, are you driven to do just a little bit more than he did or a little bit better? So my dad and I have an amazing relationship. Uh, he's my mentor, my best friend. Uh, you know, he's got my back. I have his. So it's awesome. That kind of makes things easier for me. Um, I don't know if there's any specific drive for me to do better than him because you know, I wanted him to be as successful as possible, and I want myself to be as successful as possible. It's more about the, the pressure and the competition I put on myself. Naturally, I'm always kind of in his shadow just because I'm a second-generation driver, uh, as you had mentioned. But, um, you know, over the course of time, you kind of get used to that and kind of create your own identity in a way, and I think that's that's something that I've been able to do. So I think that, you know, more so than anything else, I'm just concentrated not necessarily on that, but on the things that I can do better to become a better driver and to help our team win. Do you think your mom's guts are made out of steel? <laughs> I mean, like, cause so she, she married your dad, right. And then he was putting his life on the line all the time. And then you came along and you're like, I'm going to drive. She must've been like, no, I can't do it for another 30 years or whatever. Is, uh, is your mama, is she a head case because of all that? Or is she like totally cool with it? 
You know, I'm so glad you brought that up because finally she deserves the credit. She's able to hold all this stuff down while we're doing all this craziness that's going on. She's like, she's the best because she'll support us in anything that we do. But at the same time, she's like, you really got to put me through this every single time. I thought when your father finished, it was enough. I wouldn't have to worry about this. Now I have to worry about you. It's like this never ending cycle. Now, growing up, I played football my whole life. I even played football in college and I'm five foot six, 150, nothing. You know, I barely weigh anything. I'm not tall at all. And she said to me, she said, Justin, you know, I had to watch you play football. I have to watch you go racing. Can't you just pick up tennis or golf? <laughs> Something a little bit on me. I'm like, I'm sorry. I don't know what you want me to do, mom, but she's super supportive. She handles it really well, but she's that typical nervous, you know, mother that's always caring and looking out. Yeah. From what I've, uh, from what I've viewed watching the show, she seems like a lot of fun. And uh, that's that's pretty cool. That's good stuff right there. Um, okay, so back to the real risky business, which is spending the money you have to spend to buy these homes, and then just hoping that, um, hoping against hope that that you know somebody's going to find what you did uh, attractive. Do you make all of the, uh, you know, like when you walk through the house? Are you the guy carrying the little color swatch saying, I think we're going to put grayish in this room and maybe some canary yellow in the bathroom? <laughs> do you make these or do you have a designer that that uh, makes you look really good? So I have the help of a lot of really great people, but uh, the most important person who's kind of my partner in crime is somebody named Damien. Uh, Damien is my project manager. He does a little bit of everything and me and him kind of make the decisions ourselves. We bounce ideas off each other, kind of decide, all right, you know, in this situation, this might be best or in that situation, that might be best. And more so than anything else, I think it depends on the type of house. It depends on the price point. It depends on the area. So, uh, you know, there's always a difference, but at the same time, for the most part, our houses are relatively cookie cutter. They're the same. They're white shaker cabinets, subway tile, gray walls. So it took us a while to kind of get to that point. But we, we know at this point, okay, this is what buyers are looking for. This is what buyers want. And if we have any doubts at all, we go right to the comps and try and make the rational decision and say, okay, this house sold what we wanted to sell it at, and this is what they did. Let's do the same thing to ours. Sometimes instead of reinventing the wheel, it's easier and, and more effective to just see what others have done and done well. That's a good tip. Yeah, it really is. It makes sense to you. So you've got a you've got a type. You've got a you know you've got this plan going in, and you would you would actually the decision that you'd be making would be to go away from what you would already be planning to do based on your your last projects. That's really cool. I think that's great. Knowing the uh, knowing your area, your market, and what's uh, what's selling and what's acceptable, and that's good. Oh, we got to take another quick break. My goodness, we'll be right back with Justin Ashley, you're listening to Tony Core, your Weekend Warriors. I don't go away. You're listening to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show, built by Par Lumber. Now, here's Tony and Corey. Hey, welcome back to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show. Thanks for sticking around. If you haven't already, go check out our uh, social media pages. We're at YouTube and we're on Instagram and Facebook. We're at WW Home Show. Uh, or you can go check out our website. It's wwhomeshow.com. 
And uh, we have all of our uh, new stuff on there. If you want to listen to this show in any shape or form, you can go find our podcast. We're on Spotify and iHeartRadio, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. That's right. So we've got lots of shows, several years of shows, as a matter of fact, up there. And uh, they're really fun to listen to. Or you can also listen to our show on YouTube if you want to go watch the video podcasts. Yeah. You can see what our ugly mugs look like. Yep, that's right. Today, we have got a special guest on with us. Live from New York, it's Justin Ashley. <laughs> and Justin Ashley is a top fuel dragster driver. He's a race car driver. It sounded better when you said it. Because I got it down. I'm a race fan from way back. And uh, and anyways, and that is just that's just kind of his hobby. And then is you know, he's got a full-time job as a as a flipper, a home flipper. A, a real estate mogul. A real estate <laughs> mogul, that's right. And he's and he's got a show. On top of all that, he's got a, a reality show called Fix Flip and Fuel. Fix Flip and Fuel. Yeah, he's that's not good. He's, <laughs> he's giving giving me the nod. He's like, yeah, fix flip and fuel. It's it. very awesome. I mean, uh it's really cool all of the things that you're doing and uh as busy as yours, I just don't know. I don't still don't know how you do it. You've explained it to me now over the course of the last hour and a half, and I still don't know how you do it. But well, it's here's here's another awesome. uh, crazy fact. We've we've got this list of crazy top fuel dragster fa- facts. Uh, to exceed 300 miles per hour in four and a half seconds, dragsters must accelerate at an average of over four Gs. But in reaching 200 miles per hour, well before half the track. Launch acceleration is closer to eight Gs. That sets you back in your seat, won't it? <laughs> yes. That that's something that I guess you could say catches your attention really quick. Yeah, I'm sure you're probably like uh, not sitting out before, and you're like, "Man, I need to pee," but I'll wait till after this run. <laughs> yeah, it's only gonna be like six seconds, so <laughs> why be good? It's gonna run down your leg. Are you kidding me? <laughs> eight Gs. That's that is uh, that's crazy. That is uh, it's very awesome though. Um, okay, so um, we're talking about we're talking about flipping houses too, right? We're talking about dragsters, and we're talking about flipping houses. But uh, Corey, w- you had something you were talking about during the break. Um, you were talking about market trends. Yeah, market trends. Because you said, Justin, that you have you have a type. You kind of have a type a of signature of home that you like to turn, and it's got these things that you look for because you know it works in your area. You've had good luck with it. You've turned those houses. You're making some money. Why would you go away from that? That is the question. How do you decide that it's time to do something different? Does the this is going to sound stupid, but I, I'm going to just say it. Does the house talk to you when you go in there and you're walking through it and you're checking it out? You're like, you know, there really needs to be something different right here. Sorry. <laughs> I don't know. Corey just spilled his water or dropped his phone. Yeah, we're good. Are you going to... I'm good. I'm back. Okay. No. So, ha, d- tell me. I mean, I know it sounds corny, but does does the house talk to you? I think the house does talk to me. And and each house has a little bit of a different voice telling me what to do and what not to do. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, you kind of walk through the house and it'll talk to you. It'll kind of say, oh, I need this or, oh, I need that. And the more experience you have at looking at different houses, uh, the easier it'll kind of be to understand that. But as it pertains to the trends, I have, a you know, for now you know, kind of specifics that I stick to for the most part, uh, I'm at a certain price point. And at that price point, each house has, you know, white cabinets, 
subway tile, uh, gray tile on the floor, dark hardwood floors throughout. Uh, but I think that in business, it's really all about evolution and you kind of want to be ahead of the curve. And eventually trends are going to change. So it's not always going to be this way. This isn't always going to be what buyers want. Uh, for me, it doesn't necessarily, I don't necessarily have to be the first person to pick up on that trend. So I like to rely on others. I'll you know, reach out to other investors in the industry or other people that I work closely with. Sometimes it's the people who supply me with the lumber or sometimes it's the person from the tile store. They'll tell me, listen, I've noticed certain customers tell me that they really like this and they're moving away from that. So rely on that. And then at the end of the day, I always have the comps to lean back on. So if I see in the last month or two, a house did something funky or did something different that I'm not used to seeing, and I see that it's sold at a high price point, and then I'll check another house and realize that they did the same thing, and another house and realize that they did the same thing, then I'll start to realize that, okay, there's a certain trend developing, and it's time that we make the switch. Do you, uh, when you buy properties and you and you walk through the house, do you find properties that have exterior decks? I mean, I don't know, is that something that, that people have a lot of in Newark, like, a, like a, a framed wood deck? Is that something that you guys have out there? So it depends on the house, but there are definitely a few different houses that will have wood decks, some of them in really good condition, some that really need to be taken down and rebuilt. But there's definitely some wood decks out here in New York. Do you guys use, uh, what kind of wood do you deck uh, deck with? Is it treated or do you use composite decking or like plastic decking? Most of the time it'll be pressure treated wood. Uh, we will use just PVC occasionally, uh, but it'll be pressure treated wood most of the, most hmm, of the time. Interesting. Yeah, it is. It's very popular out here. Cedar. Cedar is very popular or has been traditionally over the years, cedar decking. Uh, but recently, it's been very hard to get. And uh, cedar decking has gone up to this point, this price point, that it actually makes more sense for people to go with composite. Yeah. You know, PVC yeah. or composite decking because it's actually less expensive. Trex came out with a line of, of composite decking. It's got a plastic cap. And composite in the center, that is about a dollar seventy-five a foot compared to cedar, which is at about a dollar or about two ten, closer to two thirty now. Yeah, so it's crazy. Uh, yeah, the, so that's yeah. I mean, you know, that's one of the trends that's changing around here. But people spend a lot of money on composite decking. Outdoor living in Oregon, in the Pacific Northwest, is huge. People are building decks, covered decks, anything they can do to spend more time outside, summer and winter. It's a, it's a, it's a hot commodity. Square footage outside is a hot commodity. Yeah. The, yeah. That's interesting to me. It's, I'm sorry. It's, it's interesting to me because I would never think that you'd be in a situation where you could buy PVC or buy composite for less than you could buy the wood. So that's awesome. That's something that I got to look into myself now. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, and, and like I said, with, you know, we've talked this earlier in the show about cost versus value and how much you're putting into something. Are you really going to get it out? And, you know, sometimes, and I don't know, maybe this is probably a, a good question for you. Does, do you ever get homeowners that come in or, or potential buyers that look at a product or look at your project and say, I don't like that. I'll buy this house if you change it. Oh, have you ever had that situation? Because it's pretty common here with home builders. Customers, people will walk in and go, I don't like the color, paint it. Or I don't like the kitchen cabinets, you know paint them or change the tile or rip out the carpet. I mean, I personally, 
I could never imagine myself walking into somebody else's property and saying, ooh, I'll buy this if you rip this carpet out and put in hardwood. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I would never think to do that. But people do. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty unbelievable the kind of requests that you'll get uh, when we list a home and somebody will walk in there and, you know, tell you that the changes that they want to be made. And for the most part, most of the buyers we get are relatively easy, but occasionally get someone who will make an offer on the house and it'll be a good offer. And you say, okay, great, you know, let's move forward. What are the next steps? And they give you this long laundry list of items that, that you know, you look at and you say, you sure you want this house? <laughs> and the time thought it's going to be a new house. Yeah. So I they're like, we love it, but actually we hate it. Yeah, exactly. We, exactly. we like we like the schools, but we like the property. The carpet sucks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Um, I want to ask you if you've ever had an opportunity to um, to flip a house for someone. So have the buyer ahead of time and flip the house for them. Ooh. Kind of a pre-sold situation, but I gotta take we gotta take a quick break. So we will come back to that question as soon as we get back. You're listening to Tony Core, your weekend warriors. Don't go away. Welcome back to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show. Thanks for staying with us. We're talking with Justin Ashley with Justin Ashley Racing. He drives a top fuel dragster, and he also fixes up houses in New York City. He uh, buys and flips them, and uh, it's a pretty uh, pretty amazing thing you got going on there, Justin. We're glad to have you on the phone. This is a really really fun interview. Tony, you had a you had a question for Justin. I do. Right I have a serious question, and then I have another question. So I'm gonna I'm gonna ask another question first. How long is the island? <laughs> How long is Long Island? <laughs> yes. I have no idea. I feel like I feel like now I should I should know the answer to that question, but I do not know. <laughs> And I'm embarrassed to say that I don't know how long Long Island actually is. That's a that's a stupid question. I know. Yeah. Is there any relationship to between Long Island and Coney Island? Where's Coney Island? So we're about depending on traffic, of course, because we're talking about New York here. But we're about I would say 30 minutes away or so from Coney Island. Okay, so it's not that far. Pretty close. It's a hundred yeah. 118 miles. You look like a, a extremely fit uh, fella, but I'm wondering if you if you imbibe with a Coney Island dog. Have you had a Coney Island dog? Of course. What New Yorker has <laughs> I mean, had a Coney Island dog, right? Well, I can indulge ourselves every once in a while. I assume so, but I've never been to New York, so so I grew up in Michigan, and we actually had Coney Islands, what we called Coney Island restaurants, it, all over Michigan. They served Coney dogs. And you cannot find a Coney dog here in Oregon. Nope. Just can't find them. Nope. Non-existent. It's like a unicorn. They're just not there. I got a good business idea for you, Tony. Yeah? <laughs> Coney, <laughs> Coney dogs. Coney Island, Oregon dogs. They're yeah. amazing. So, Justin, before we went to the break, um, I was asking you if you had uh, an opportunity, really, to, f- to renovate a home that was for someone specifically. Like somebody that already owned the home or maybe somebody that wanted to buy a home and have you renovate it. 
Um, have you done anything like that or are all the ones that you bought, nobody owned it when you bought it or nobody inhabited it? So the majority of houses that we end up flipping, uh, they're not owner occupied or they were owner occupied and the owner moved out as a result. Uh, but we did have one particularly unique situation where we bought a home from someone and as part of the process, we offered to relocate them. And in the process of relocating them, we'll, you know, buy a house for them, help them find a house and we'll renovate the house for them as well. So that's pretty much the closest I've gotten to actually doing a renovation for someone. And it really was the same as that. And it was unique for me. Uh, it wasn't something that I would particularly recommend because sometimes, you know, I felt like, although the homeowner had, you know, their, their best interest at heart, they meant well, uh, sometimes maybe they were on top of us a little too much. And, uh, you know, I'm maybe more into just, you know, picking out the designs myself and, kind of letting our team do their thing. But nonetheless, we got the project done. They were super happy. But that was really the only time I ever had a situation like that. And uh, for now, I think I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna stick to, to the regular flips. That's a pretty good, you know, you, you're in a pretty good situation there. You know, you buy what you want, you do with it what you want, and you sell it. And you don't have anybody to answer to but yourself, which is pretty great. You know, day in and day out, Tony and I deal with contractors every day. And we hear firsthand what these contractors have to deal with. You know, when you have a homeowner breathing down your neck, wondering when you're going to be done, when you're, when you're going to show up, you know, why is your guy here doing this when I told him to do this and trying to give orders to uh, your, your own employees? You know, it's like they, it is a tough business to be in. You have to be a very good people person being able to just do what you want. It's just free. You can just do whatever you want. Yeah. Uh, so Corey has got a bit of a pet peeve about things that go into a home that are too trendy, because <laughs> ultimately, in the end, something that's too trendy ends up being something that people want to get rid of after a time, as opposed to things that aren't trendy, that are like hardwood floors, for example, not trendy. Right. That'll be around forever, probably going forward. Gray, um, gray hardwood floors. Trendy. Yeah, sure. Right. For example, Corey and I did a show actually, which you would have loved called, how do you know when it's time to remodel your home? And uh, we covered stuff from like green shag carpet to popcorn ceilings. You ever, you ever buy a house that's got, uh, that's got uh, popcorn ceilings on the inside? Oh, of course. That's the first sign that the house is outdated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We said, uh, we said on the show there, if you've got more popcorn on your ceiling than is on the floor in the local cinema. It's time <laughs> to remodel your house. If you've got more bright brass in your house than the local high school marching band, it's time <laughs> to remodel. Um, so it's great to, it's great to get a place that is uh, kind of raw, hasn't been touched since, you know, I don't know, 1970 or what would you say is the average age of the homes you buy and, and flip? Are they newer homes? like, you know, in the last 20 or are they older, like in the last 40 or 50? So most of them were built around like 1950, 1960, but, uh, you know, people have been living in there over the course of time and have made their own renovations, but a lot of them have been vacant for a while and they were old and outdated. So I would say the majority of them haven't been touched really since the eighties or nineties. So they're, you know, you're talking about shag carpet that, that hits home hard for me. I oh, get man. it. Shag carpet. Lime green shag carpet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm sure you see a lot of uh, uh, countertops made out of laminate. 
Yeah. Do you? It's do probably you, very common. What is your What's your go to? What's your go to countertop? Is it uh, Is it quartz or granite or like Corian or something like that? What do you use? Yeah, it's quartz in, the, in most of the houses. We so, you know some that are a little bit less expensive. We'll go with a pretty basic granite, but for the most part, I like to use quartz. Yeah, the quartz is nice. That's what we put in. I actually have a really good question for you, Justin. Are Are there any things that you look out for in a house that you're potentially going to buy that you would steer away from? The things that make you turn around and just run right now. Like I'm definitely not buying this house. (laughs) Uh, I think that probably the thing that stands out to me the most is the foundation. Uh, If there's an issue with the foundation, uh, it's something that I'll have an architect or an engineer come out and check that works closely with me. Uh, But that would probably be my first fear. Uh, Other than that, I think everything else uh, is relatively doable, even as bad as the smells might smell, even as bad as it might look. Uh, generally, we can work with it, but there are those certain few things, especially the foundation, that that really make me a little bit concerned. Yeah, that's a pretty good one. I mean, you think about the, uh, I mean, is the foundation of the home, and if the foundation has sunk or cracked or, you know, is is anything. Yeah, the foundation. The, the problems add up tremendously through all the way through the roof of that house. So yeah, I don't blame you there uh, looking at or steering away from anything with foundation issues. If you're re-roofing a house, what's your, uh, what's your choice? A comp- composition or? Yeah, I think usually it's composition more so than anything else. I think we, we've got a lot of cedar shake on the roofs around here. It was really popular in the 90s, 80s and 90s, 80s yeah. and 90s. Yeah. So we replaced a lot of that. But, um, you know, a super heavy duty composition roof like, uh, you know, a hundred what would have been called a hundred year roof before. And now I think it's just a just a everything's just lifetime. They yeah. call it lifetime. Lifetime right. roof. Yeah, it's it's for the life of the, however long that shingle is going to last. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> They just get thicker and thicker and thicker until there's no wind. You guys got to deal with uh, got to deal with big wind over there on the East Coast more than we do here. Maybe you think? Yeah, I think. I mean, I'm not sure necessarily how it is by you, but I just know by me, man. With the the snow and the wind and the rain and the mix of crazy weather, uh, all the houses that we build, we have to make sure the roofing, siding, it's all firm and it's going to be, uh, you know, it's going to stay there for a long time and it's it's at least of relatively high quality. Yeah. Yeah, that's some uh, it's pretty good tips for even even somebody on the East Coast, you know, 4,000 4, miles away. Is that how far? I think the, <laughs> I from coast to coast. He's on the other side of the world. Yeah. Compared to us. Yeah. And they typically they really do. They worry about the same things as we do. Here in Oregon, we deal with a lot of rain. So we're uh, are, are we have the same worries. You know, the siding, the caulking, the water management, uh, you know. The roofing, and uh, when, when we look at houses to buy, when Tony and I get in and look at houses to buy, those are some of the things that come uh, right towards the top. Yeah. So. Well, Justin, here we are coming towards the end of our last segment. I just have to say thank you so much for being on with us. This has been an absolute blast, a highlight for me, no question. And uh, you are uh, an awesome guest, and uh, I want to wish you the very best in all that you do going forward. So, um Good luck with your flipping and good luck with your fueling. And and, uh, yeah. I, and uh, I hope that we get a chance to do this again. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me on. It was a pleasure. Uh, I had a great time and uh, 
Definitely. You know, I'd love to be on again whenever it works for you guys. Stay safe and uh, be good. It was really a pleasure talking to you. Awesome. Thanks, Justin. Justin Ashley, thank you so much for being with us. That's all the time we got. Have a great week, folks. We'll see you next time.